Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. You don't need 96,000 reasons to tune into the latest episode of the Middle Seats podcast. You just need three. It's the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. Let me list those three reasons for you. I'm one of them. I'm your host, Andrew J. Number two. Anytime he talks, it's like a lovely musical extravaganza, Mr. Nate Longarini. Uh, did it work? Was that Ariel? Yeah. Was that like, oh, nice. This is my default. My family like- will get it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anybody that's seen Little Mermaid will get it, but yeah, that's that seems like a shout-out specific. He's a little pitchy with his take sometimes, but I'm going to lay off. I'm going to be a little nice. This is a very positive episode, Mr. Jay Kensler. <laughs> I thought you were going to list me as number two for the reason. Uh, yeah, I, this, is, this is a sophisticated show. We're above show. poop jokes. Come on, Jake. Are we, though? Yeah, we're in the 50s. True. <laughs> Leave it to me to make the poop joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be kind of more on brand for you, I would say. You like Step Brothers just as much as I do. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But you probably like Kangaroo Jack more than me. And well, there's yeah. definitely more poop jokes in Kangaroo Jack than some of the other things that I watch. Yeah, all right. You got me there. Drew one, Jake zero. <laughs> The Middle Seats Podcast is the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. If you are just joining us for the first time, our show is divided into three segments. We start our show with the lobby talk. We're all going back to the theater, folks. In the Heights, which is going to be our feature review in a bit, was a great chance to go to the theater and talk in the lobby with some of your friends uh, about any kind of topic before Maria Menounos transports you into a world of cinema. So... We'll do that in a bit. Then we'll have our new segment. And like I said, we have a feature review uh, with a non-spoiler and a spoiler section. This week, it is of John Chu's In the Heights, which, of course, is also available on HBO Max. We'll discuss whether we saw it in theaters, what we thought of the movie, yada, yada, yada. Anyways, one of the best parts of a theater tradition, just chatting in the lobby. Nate is going to pitch our lobby talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? All righty. So for Lobby Talk this week, theaters are obviously on our minds. Um, And specifically, stuff that's missing from theaters. Uh, If you've been paying attention to our pod or just news in general, you might have heard about the new Pixar movie Luca that is notably not going to theaters, even though stuff like The Boss Baby 2 and other kids' movies are getting the, the prime theater treatment. And, and that just got the ball rolling. Have there ever been movies that either you just missed the theater window for or you didn't get the chance to see it in a theater? It was a limited release or you were just too young or not the right age to go see the movie in a theater. What are those movies we want to hear them now? So let, let's start with Jake. What do you got? Alrighty. Um, so it's actually funny, off mic, Andrew, without revealing his pick, said Lord of the Rings might be a good example, but he's recently seen it in theaters as a re-release. And 
I just thought it was kind of ironic because I technically did see the third one in theaters, just the third one with my dad. But I remember turning to him like once they like destroy the ring and well, spoilers for Lord of the Rings, I guess. Once they destroy the ring and like go home, <laughs> um, I remember turning to my dad and being like, "That's it." And he goes, "What?" And I was like, "That was that was the whole point." And he was like, "Yeah." Like, what were you watching? And I was like, I don't know. I guess I didn't realize it was all about, like, destroying the ring. And I, I don't know. I was, like, eight or nine, so I guess I didn't put it all together. But I would love to watch that trilogy, like, with my mindset now in theaters for the first time. I feel like that would be incredible. But my real picks, uh, movies I was just too young for. Um, I feel like Kill Bill was probably an awesome first-time theater experience. And The Matrix, having seen a, a genre-changing sci-fi movie like that, first time in theaters those were the first two that really came to mind that i was like wow how awesome would that have been oh yeah matrix was on my short list so i totally get the appeal there yeah i think the only like downside is you can't like pause the movie and turn to dad and say what the heck's going on and he says shut up shut up just keep watching the movie <laughs> well right i was four so i couldn't have <laughs> but <laughs> kill bill would have been a blast too yeah i remember hearing about what kill bill was when i was around that age and i was like yeah, I'm probably not going to be able to see something with the title Kill in it for a couple of years, so <laughs> let me write that yeah. off. My dad said the same thing straight up after he saw it or after he saw it in video or whatever. I remember thinking, like, it sounds cool, and he told me there's, like, a samurai kind of fight in it. I'm like, that sounds really cool. And he was like, yep, you got about 15 more years or something like that. And I was like, "That great, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> something to look forward to, I guess. <laughs> but didn't that make the initial viewing all the better, Jake? Oh, yeah, and that, that timeline was cut short. I probably <laughs> saw Kill Bill around 14 instead of 18, and I was like, this was so worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say on the Lord of the Rings discussion, for those who have listened to this podcast a long time, Return of the King is my favorite movie ever. And I was able to finally catch it in a theater uh, in 2017, 2018. It was like a late August IMAX release, so I was able to see it. I was like one of four people in the theater, so... It was good to get the big screen experience, but there there's a part of me that wishes I could have experienced opening night. Oh, yeah. Uh, with the anticipation, and I wonder if there were a lot of applause moments and stuff like that. There's just That's just something that there's no way, Jake, I assume you remember, right, about like how the audience responded to it. Was it vocal? Was it— If I, if I remember correctly, I think— I don't think we saw it on any kind of opening night. I think it was like a random weekday night or something because there weren't that many people uh, in the theater, if I remember correctly. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. Especially with a, with like a kid. That makes sense. Who doesn't know anything else about the yeah. rest of the series. <laughs> they still didn't quite understand the plot. Lord of the Rings isn't about destroying the ring thing? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just a bunch of people going to defeat the bad guy. I didn't. And the ring was just kind of there. I didn't realize it was kind of the other way around. <laughs> it's in the title, Jake. No excuse. <laughs> it's right in the description. I wasn't allowed to see the Lord of the Rings movies until like nine to ten months after the third one was done being in theaters. Mm -hmm. my, my parents started loosening up on PG-13 around nine or ten. No, my, my dad was much looser. <laughs> I was going to say, obviously, there are different parenting styles. So there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. There are people that show R-rated movies to four-year-olds. but And Jurassic <laughs> Park to two-year-olds, but I digress. That's interesting. Like, I, I liked my Lord of the Rings experience, but I didn't see it in theaters, and I, I don't think I've seen any of them in theaters. Like, we went up to our our lake house frequently during the summer, and we had a big VHS collection, and Lord of the Rings was on two cassette tapes because it was just that long <laughs> of a movie. Um, but, like, 
we saw that with aunts, uncles, and cousins, you know? So it was like a big communal thing. So it was almost like our own little mini theater That's with fun. 18 of us crammed into a tiny little living room on a probably no more than... 20 inch TV and that's how I saw Lord of the Rings and honestly I probably wouldn't change that but that's clearly nostalgia talking <laughs> yeah yeah I mean there, there are outside yeah, factors of course, there. I yeah. think if I was alone if I was alone watching on a 20 inch TV I'd be like <laughs> what the f <laughs> but especially now that our, our laptops are 20 inches you know yeah exactly <laughs> yeah right Christopher Nolan was just having a heart attack somewhere <laughs> uh, <laughs> alright Drew what's your pick so mine were more movies that like I like physically I was not around to seeing basically both of my picks came out in the 80s and one of them is a pretty obvious one uh especially given how much of a not just a movie phenomenon a cultural phenomenon Star Wars was I would have loved to been there opening night or opening weekend for Empire Strikes Back just to mm -hmm. one see if the response and the reception was as feverish or was it more front-loaded than star wars because star wars was a hit across the entire summer actually i don't know what the box office for empire strikes back was like but i assume that initial numbers were bigger and crowds at the beginning were bigger and spoilers for empire strikes back deep side <laughs> <laughs> but i want to know what it was like for people learning the luke like Vader father twist. Yeah. I, I wish I was around people because spoilers were not really a thing back then unless some dickhead journalist wrote it in the paper. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there, there was no way you could have known. Yeah, that that's one of the OG plot twists. Right. Harrison Ford mm -hmm. didn't even know until the movie came out. So like just the buzz that would have swept over the state, the stadium, the theater would have been like kind of like, wait, what? Like, huh? And I think that would have been... Just such a talking point, a post lobby talk, if you will. You yeah, know? right. <laughs> yeah, talking and speculating of what the third one would be. I'm sure somebody would have thrown out the uh, teddy bear main characters uh, in the discussion. I'm sure that <laughs> definitely was on the top of everyone's mind. Um, of course. But yeah, I mean, I think that would have been so fun. And then my other one was just kind of a vibe pick. I think it would have been really fun to be there when Ferris Bueller's Day Off was really popular. I bet oh, that would yeah. have been a really good, fun Ooh, yeah. comedy experience. Because um, that movie's just such a crowd pleaser for us. And can you imagine how it was for the people in the 80s? Ferris Bueller is one of those movies where you, even if it's not like, like it's not one of my favorite movies of all time, even though I do think it's great. But it's one of those movies where you watch it and you're like, I would love to be that guy. I have, I do not have the charisma that that guy has. Most people don't. But man, do I wish I do. So watching that in theaters must have just been like, I'm going to go live life right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I bet there was awesome. a little bit more reckless behavior, right? Yeah, 100% not going to school on Monday. I don't care. All right, yes, I am. But <laughs> <laughs> You didn't have a mannequin just hiding in your closet ready to go? No, nor do I have this. <laughs> Nate, you know, you know how I am with tech. I can't figure out how to make a stereo record me when I'm snoring, let alone in the 80s. Not going to happen. <laughs> I hope Ferris Bueller studied engineering in college because the way he rigs his bedroom it's set up for him, assuming he went to college. That's another completely <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, Something doesn't strike me as very in his character for that. No, he, he strikes me more of like a, one of those guys who ended up in pyramid schemes kind of thing. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> pyramid schemes in the 80s? What, what did that look like? A lot of hair ties. I don't know. All right. Well, I guess that, that leaves it with me then, right? Uh, so I went in a similar vibe to how Drew went where you're looking for that 
theater reaction that just wasn't available to you when the movie came out. Going through my filmography here, if you will. And I was trying to come up with examples that had like the Avengers Endgame level hype factor where it's both big action spectacle, lots of laughs and comedy that that is just so much more fun with a theater to laugh with um, and something that I just wasn't around for. So I wasn't born when this movie came out, but I feel like this one checks off all the boxes. Uh, I'm going to go with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, the the third one of the the trilogy there. Oh, interesting. The third one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just think you would have had all the all the aspects there to have a really good crowd because that's true. Because people have, are already you into have hype it. going behind it. Like yeah. Indiana Jones and Raiders is already done, so people know who the character is. Um, the fact that Sean Connery's in this one out of nowhere and right. totally steals the show. Yeah, adding James Bond will always help. Absolutely, and I think this is probably the funniest of the three like it's close with the first one but like the banter between indiana jones and his father i think is just top notch that's like good theater belting out laughing kind of stuff (laughs) i agree i think it's probably the most traditionally comedic good pick yep that sounds like it's same it's right along the lines of what i was saying with empire just the anticipation of it and then there there's less big like twist moments but it's such it's such an entertaining movie it's such a fun movie Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. Oh yeah. And th- there's still action scenes to boot that I would have loved to see on a big screen. You know, like I bet you, by today's standards, the the whole rating of the Holy Grail Temple might seem a little little janky with some of the special effects, even though some of them are still pretty good today. Um, but that's just a big set piece that, for the most part, was all practical. That would be really cool to see on a big screen yeah. instead of the little twenty inch screen up at my family's cottage. <laughs> <laughs> Before we continue, um, I'm an idiot. How did I not pick Jurassic Park? I would have loved, I still love that movie. I would have loved to see that movie on the big screen if I was not negative two years old. Yeah, I think we're, I think we're all thinking one of those things at all times, but. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I lost my train of thought. I was going to say something Indiana Jones based and I can't remember. I threw him off. Let's go. It's not that hard to do. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I throw myself And that's off. a wrap, ladies and gents. <laughs> Take pencil, everybody. I, I, I was surprised you didn't answer Jurassic Park as well. I, I kind of assumed that's where you're going to go with it, but your picks were good anyway. That's fine. Got the validation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we get too nice, good lobby talk, Nate. Let's move into our news segment. And this just in, a Newsbreak special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So when I initially saw this movie, this transitions well, this is called a transition in the in the biz, folks. Uh, when I initially saw Knives Out in theaters, I didn't have a big crowd, but then I saw it on Christmas Day, and that was a great crowd-pleasing experience that I'm glad I had. Uh, movies that I think everybody hoped that they had seen in theaters that's that's a good option for recent years, especially since that came right before the pandemic. It was one of the last big vestiges of a pre-pandemic era of movie going that we're still trying to build back up to. Knives Out 2, we talked about a couple of episodes ago, will be coming to Netflix. I hope, I hope there's an option to see in theaters because I would love to if I can, but Ryan Johnson knows what he's doing. And since we last talked, a good portion of the cast has been filled out. Uh, that will be supporting Daniel Craig's Benoit Blanc. Uh, we don't know plot or premise yet, but we do know that 
Daniel Craig will be joined by Dave Bautista, who, of course, is Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy, if you don't just know that name. Uh, Edward Norton, who is a legend. Uh, Janelle Monet, very famous uh, pop singer slash she's got a couple of acting credits behind her belt. Catherine Hahn, who, of course, stole the show in WandaVision. She's been in a lot of great things. Leslie Odom Jr., who was Al- uh, Aaron Burr in Hamilton and has been in some other things as well. Kate Hudson, everybody knows who Kate Hudson is. Madeline Klein, who's this pretty, probably definitely the lesser known of the people that have been cast. She's on this Netflix show, Outer Banks, that had a lot of buzz during the pandemic. It's kind of like a One Tree Hill, the OC kind of thing, I think. And then Jessica Henwick, who everybody best knows as um, Colleen Wing from the Iron Fist Defender shows, the Netflix Marvel shows. So that's what we've got so far. I assume we'll probably get a couple of more additions to the cast as we go, but this is kind of just a status check. Nate, what do you think of the cast so far? Like, are there any names that you're surprised by? Are there any names that you, like, wish had wasn't there for whatever reason? Well, I think this is definitely an easy contender for one of our news items last podcast um, with star-studded movie casts. Because, uh, yeah, this one's, this one's got, a, got a crew behind it. I think I'm most intrigued by your first two names, Batista and Ed Norton. And if I had picked the two, Edward Norton definitely got a lot of potential to be a really fun character. Because that was what made the first Knives Out so entertaining, is that you had these awesome actors and actresses just to go full ham as awful, awful people. Some of them really smart, but still just slimy people. <laughs> and I think that Edward Norton can totally pull something really fun off. Like thinking of what he did in um, Birdman, I think could be really fun. I think he would just be a generic bad guy. I don't think he would be like the mass murderer or anything like that. Yeah. It's hard not knowing the premise, but I think we have these roles in our head that these guys play, you know? Like, the the types that they kind of fall into. Some of them have gone against type of certain roles, but like, just, just give me your initial impressions of the ensemble, and then we'll have a greater kind of prediction discussion. Um, ditto to what Nate said. I rewatched Birdman in January, and I f-ing love Birdman. But so I'm I'm super super interested to see how Edward Norton plays out, uh, what character he's gonna play, how he plays it, and unlike Nate said, like he obviously could be a, a decent villain just because he can be snarky and kind of really full of himself and a little bit nasty, but he could also play the victim a little bit too. I could see him kind of being like. Like a little wishy-washy and a little like, what was me? I'm the victim. Everything bad happens to me. Like, it's not my fault. Um, regardless, he's good in basically basically everything I've seen him in. So I'm very excited to see him. Surprise-wise, I'm surprised by Jessica Henwick. I just was not expecting to see that name after, you know. I mean, you never know, but like Iron Fist was not considered a big success. All the Netflix Marvel shows just kind of fell off, like, bluntly. So I was surprised to see her name. She also was in Star Wars, to be fair to her. Like that, yeah, it's not true. a huge role, but <laughs> right. That, so that I guess she's got a little more recognition. Your... Well, I kind of, I kind of like that though. I prefer to have characters that don't draw like the A-list recognition behind them. So that way, they get to fall more into the character role. Oh yeah, you know? and and she was good too, and like as far as Iron Fist goes, she also is in the Matrix Four, uh, which that'll probably boost her notoriety a little bit more. But I could see kind of like what Nate is saying. I think. She can kind of fill, and again, I don't know what role she's playing. That's what we'll talk about a little bit here. But I think 
she can fill the Ana de Armas role. You know what I mean? In term, mm-hmm. not in terms of specific character, but in terms of B B minus to B list actress who gives an A list type performance and boosts their notoriety. Because now Ana de Armas, when you're listing your favorites in that movie, she's in pretty much everybody's top five, and now she's got a big role in the new James Bond movie, and now. You know, Jessica Jessica Henwick could fill that kind of breakout star role, I think. Yeah, I agree. Like, I like everybody in this cast. I think the the biggest pushback I got was Kate Hudson, but I think Kate Hudson is bad movies, good actress a lot of the times. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. she kind uh, of like, she's in a lot of bad rom-coms. Yeah, rom-com. you can make that call. Yeah. <laughs> she's in a lot of bad rom-coms, but she also did like Almost Famous and some other stuff as well. So, like, let's talk about, like, where we think everybody's going to fill in here. Uh, Let, let's I start think, with Catherine Hahn. Okay, sure. Because uh, I'm also excited about her. <laughs> the, the, the easiest comp for what the role she usually plays is the Tony Collette role from the first one, I think. But I could also see it being turned on its head. Maybe she's, like, a nerdy kind of girl or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think villain would be a little too obvious after WandaVision. Um, but I do hope she can carry that momentum from WandaVision. You know what I mean? Like, I thought she was so good and, like, having the most fun out of anybody on WandaVision. Every time she was on screen, so much fun to watch, so intriguing. But I think if she was going to be a villain again, a little be, it'd be a little bit too on the nose. But then that kind of leaves, like, Dave Bautista could be obvious just because he's this big, hulking behemoth of a person. So, like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Both those characters strike me more as the red herring antagonists the ones mm-hmm. that are just bad people but they didn't do whatever crime daniel craig needs to solve right i kind of in my head cast edward norton as the bumbling idiot kind of like what you guys were referring to in terms of the <laughs> the fun. birdman role he'll be like the big comedic relief i feel like here's here's something that like we haven't really talked about and i don't know if it's something that ryan johnson has confirmed is this even a murder mystery you would think so, right? Like, I would hope they, maybe not necessarily murder mystery, but I think just mystery in general. <laughs> yeah, some kind of detective story. Yeah, or it's got to be a got to be a whodunit. Yeah. Maybe somebody oh. stole something. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I hope they do, like, something stolen Pink Panther style. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. I, I'm, always, I'm always excited because Knives Out is not just a murder mystery. It's got, like, that extra hook of, you know... Exactly. Well, it was a deconstruction of a murder mystery almost. Right. So if they do the same thing with a heist movie, that that, that could be fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, in my head, cast Leslie Odom Jr. as like the Lakeith Stanfield as like his partner. But I also could see him being like the su- quote unquote surprise villain. He's got a he's kind of got like that, you know, he can smooth talk. He's a very talented, charming guy. But you could also see him using that to kind of charm the pants off of Benoit Blanc. But then Benoit gets the best of him, and you find out that it's actually he's actually behind it. You know, I could definitely see that being like a way that things flow. I was just gonna say, with with our luck, we're gonna get like two more major castings and not be able to cover it again because we've already talked about it too much. <laughs> I think what the I think what this cast is missing right now is the quote unquote Hollywood legend. Like, there's no Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, mm-hmm. I, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, in a week or two we find out that, like, Jane Fonda's in this or Lily Tomlin or somebody like that. You know what I mean? Like, some older vet or, like, a Jeff Goldblum or someone like that. 
Helen Mirren. <laughs> she would be good. Whatever. I mean, she can do whatever anybody asks her to do. She's in Fast and Furious, for Christ's sake. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And documentary now. Yes, I forgot about that. Yep. R- ridiculous. So. <laughs> she has a lot of fun on that. Any other thoughts on the Knives Out 2 cast based on what we have so far? Put mm-hmm. it in theaters and I'll be a happy man. Yep. Yeah. And hopefully that lobbying can continue as the movie goes further into development. I'm sure... Ryan Johnson will at least want some kind of limited run. We'll see if Netflix budges. Well, let's stay with streaming, actually. Uh, we talk about these Disney movies and the live-action remakes and the adaptations so much, but this was one that I really didn't want to let pass through the wayside because just, I'm just exasperated. Like, it, it It's going to sound weird that I'm going to say that I was like speechless when I saw this, because that doesn't sound like it makes for good podcasting, but there, there definitely is a discussion <laughs> here. They are working on this show called Little Town. Uh, it is going to be a Disney Plus exclusive, and basically what it is is a Beauty and the Beast prequel that tells us the backstory behind the uh, quote-unquote friendship between Gaston and LeFou. It's kind of it's kind of weird because they characterize Gaston and LeFou as friends in the description for the show. Which is interesting. Not not an interpretation (laughs) I get from any Beauty and the Beast adaptation. Of course, in the 2017 remake, Luke Evans played Gaston and Josh Gad played LeFou. They would be returning to the role. Set years before the events of Beauty and the Beast, Little Town follows Gaston and LeFou as they set out alongside Tilly, who is the stepsister of LeFou, in a journey filled with comedy, romance, and adventure after a revelation from Tilly's past surfaces, blah, 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 Mysteries of the Kingdom... Blah blah blah. Uh, this will there will be musical elements to this. Alec Alan Menken is going to return and do some songs for this, I believe, and and the score for this. So that's at least cohesive from the remake and the original. Uh, but like, did Jake? Did you ask for this? Was this you? I certainly did not. <laughs> no, <laughs> I I am as much for original content as everybody else. So. I mean, if you're going to do a reboot, remake, prequel, sequel, spinoff, bullshit, whatever, if it's good and it's interesting, fine. But, like, one, these two are not friends. Like, I guess they're partners, but they're not friends. Yeah, unless something radically changed in between. This could be, like, episode three for Star Wars, man, and we see how their relationship fell apart before the big movie. But, but like... But, but then we know, one, our, our main character is the villain in a bigger story... And we know how his journey ends. His journey ends by falling to the death like every other villain. So, like, what about this is going to be so interesting? And also, like, the episode three comparison kind of works. But, like, LeFou still thinks he they're friends, I think. <laughs> it's it's a matter Whatever. of Gaston becoming a jerk. I, I, I don't, yeah. Uh, Jake, your point is valid about the villain thing, too. He's, like, he, he's this cocky asshole in a different movie. Why is he getting his own show now? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll tell you why, Jake. It's it's those dollar bills, y'all. Yeah. Disney is so yeah. cocky that they can just slap their branding on anything and have it make money at this point. And, yeah, th- this should have been its own IP. This is stupid. <laughs> um, it's, it's one thing if you want to make three-dimensional characters um, out of your 2D villains, screenwriting-wise, not animation-wise, if that makes sense. But if... We already know that their story is going to end in that very two-dimensional way. 
there's no merit to it. It's just hollow and empty. It's inflating a balloon that you know you're going to pop anyway. It's just right. The only stupid. reasonable thing they can do is like add some sympathetic backstory to Gaston, like like they kind of just did with Cruella. But at least in Cruella's case, they changed the entire story. Like the, like there there is no version of 101 Dalmatians that is the same coming out of Cruella. These characters already exist. You know, like there's already been the original. We've seen the original already. It'd be different if they were doing a revisionist version of the Beauty and the Beast, but they just did Beauty and the Beast, you know? Mm -hmm. So how are you going to make Gaston likable when we know that he's going to try to stab our quote unquote main hero of the story in the heart in a couple years? Like, yeah, <laughs> he's also a creepy, pushy womanizer. Mm -hmm. I don't really want to see this guy on screen. Yeah, in the Me Too era, to bring him back of all people is pretty interesting choice. Again, and I'm sure they might try to soften that as well. I'm sure they will. They're probably going to cut that out completely. He's going to be like a like your cocky jock instead of womanizing, pushy, no means yes kind of guy. Mm -hmm. You know what? I just had what they call an epiphany, guys. It's oh, going to no. be great, they, and here's they, why. They, they, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> they're they're not doing. They are not doing this for Gaston. They are doing this for LeFou. Of course, they made LeFou a gay character in Beauty and the Beast, to no benefit of the plot whatsoever. Yep. One reference, and they dance. This is about expanding that. Maybe is this going to be kind of like a? This is a horrible comparison, but it's the first gay thing I could think of. Is this going to be like a Call Me by Your Name? For Beauty and the Beast and LeFou. You know what I mean? Like, so, is there going to be some kind of romantic story that so they can develop that part of it and make it be like, see, we had a plan all along. This wasn't just pandering. Yeah, yeah no, this it's covering up for pandering is what it is. Like, it's the equivalent of, like, McDonald's and Burger King, like, throwing up a rainbow burger for, for Pride Month and then immediately going away as soon as July hits, you know? It doesn't, there's no meaningful action there. So when they originally made LeFou gay and then didn't do anything with it because they didn't want to piss off China, this could be a reasonable backtrack, I suppose, true. But we still know how the story ends. If this is going to be like an unrequited love story between LeFou and Gaston just not reciprocating. like Oh, I wasn't even thinking that. I was thinking, a third, I was thinking a third party character. But yeah, okay. that would be especially and, tough. Maybe LeFou sort of like works with Gaston and... He goes, he, you know, he hates his life and he hates working with Gaston, but he wants his approval and he ends up going for, like, somebody else finds his hand in love, something like that. Yeah. But then he's not there for the, for the original movie. Yeah. yeah. All right, all right. We, we've spent enough time on this bullshit. I, I'm over <laughs> it. I, th that actually was more fruitful than I thought because I had, like, a, I had a last-minute <laughs> theory that mm. popped up as to why in the world do they think anybody cares about this. Think we can all put the check mark of not for this. Not <laughs> probably won't watch. Checker. Yeah, check. <laughs> Nate, I can see how this conversation goes in 2023 when we talk about the trailer and Jake goes, you know, doesn't look that bad. You know, that does sound like a familiar conversation. <laughs> That's why I said <laughs> probably not. I won't say that I'm the most consistent. I hate these live action remakes to begin with. And when you add in little BS like this, oh, we know. I haven't seen Cruella yet. I'm still not planning on it. <laughs> and then I'll be like, Nate, run back the tape. <laughs> That's why I don't say never. I say probably not. Yeah. Yes. You cover your ass. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Jake's a little lawyer after all. That's fine. Yeah. 
anyway, that's that's the little town whenever that comes out. Let's talk about what's going on in movies and TV right now, specifically movies. Uh, so most of the world is vaccinated. Here in New York, where we all live, most of the restrictions, if not all of the COVID restrictions, have pretty much been lifted. It, it's a happy time. It's the, it's the celebration at the end of Return of the Jedi, kind of, in the streets. Like, people are just happy to be out and about. I'm happy to see people. So now the next step is convincing them to do things that they were been told for months are the most dangerous thing in the pandemic, even though there's been no science to prove that going to the movies is the most dangerous thing you could have done. Um, so how do you get people back to the theater, especially in a very important period? Because at the time of recording, we are two days out from F9, uh, which, of course, is Fast and Furious 9. Then we've got a couple weeks after that for Black Widow. We've got Space Jam after that. We've got The Suicide Squad after that. We've got a lot of big movies coming, and a lot of these... Studios are trying to find ways to justify them keeping the movies in their release slot and not moving them back again. You know, they're trying they're trying to make it make sense why they're still releasing big things in June 2021. They're trying to prove themselves right, basically. So they have launched a partnership with the theaters over this next couple of days. Uh, they're doing this thing called Cinema Week from June 22nd to June 30th. So... Basically what it is is they're offering a bunch of events, prizes, activities at different movie chains uh, across the country. The big thing that I saw AMC is doing, they're offering customers an all-you-can-eat popcorn with the purchase of any size tub. So you can go to the movies right now, get that, and basically they're giving out all-you-can-eat popcorn. These are the little tricks that they're trying to pull to get people who might be on the fence about going to see F9. It's like, oh, I get I get to see Vin Diesel and free food. That's a plus, <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> so th that's kind of the question I was going to pose to you guys. What do theaters have to do to convince people to come back? Is it just about the quality of releases? Is it about these kind of gimmicks? Because I, I don't think this is a bad idea. I just don't know how convincing it's going to be. I think it's the most American idea that free food is what's going to get our butts back into seats. <laughs> right. Well, 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 Nate, take it from there. What are some other incentives that they should try? Mike if... and Ike's. <laughs> Just oh more different God, food? <laughs> you stole my thing. Yeah, no. If, like, like AMC A-List has a, a birthday gift for you where you get a free large popcorn. And because of the pandemic, and I was actually able to get my free popcorn – when we went and reviewed Quiet Place, um, which was a nice surprise. I went in not expecting to have too much food, and all of a sudden I have a free large popcorn. That said, I'm one guy. One large popcorn gets kind of old after, you know, the first 20 handfuls or so. <laughs> um, so I would have appreciated free candy and free soda over uh, free popcorn. But hey, you, you take what you can get. I think these kind of gimmicks are cute. But I really think it's just quality releases that's really what's going to get people back in theaters right now. For your average moviegoer who sees maybe three or four movies in theaters a year, um, I don't think there's been anything to get my butt back in the seat yet. You know, if you're a fan of the Fast and Furious franchise, you got this weekend coming up for you. If you're a Marvel fan, you got Black Widow coming up. Um, but otherwise, the release schedule's been a little bit more barren for your major blockbuster crowd. So I think once we get to the point where there's going to be something big in theaters every month, that's when theater crowds will start to come back in. And I think that's kind of a domino from there. So I've been more looking at the calendar than the menu, but I do think this is a cute idea. Jake, before we pitch it to you, because Nate kind of left me an opening to a point I was going to make as a 
subsection of this. Box office right now, a little bit of hit and miss. Uh, a Quiet Place Part 2, very positive uh, reception, very positive uh, tracking uh, week to week, doing really well, not dropping a lot. The Conjuring 2, or Conjuring 3, excuse me, uh, opened pretty well, even with the HBO Max thing. The big the big disappointment is the movie we're reviewing in a few minutes, In the Heights, uh, which did not do very well. So, again, up and down. Jake, these next couple weeks are going to be crucial with F9 and Black Widow. Yeah, uh, for me, I think it's, like, food is definitely a good one. Like Nate said, it's a very American idea. But for me, it's what does everybody, you know, complain about when they go to the movie theaters? Right, it's the pricing. It's how expensive everything is. I think you got to knock down ticket prices too a little bit because people still see, I don't know what is it, fourteen fourteen fifty for a ticket, thirteen dollars for a ticket. Some some places like some people look at that and go, oh that, and then a popcorn on top of it. I think you initially have to knock down the ticket prices just a little bit, uh, and that'll get people in uh, the theater a little bit more. Everybody complains about ticket prices everywhere you go. That that was one thing I was thinking of, like maybe bringing it down. Certain screenings are like. 750 850 or something like that even for newer mm -hmm. movies you know like you don't have to do your set i don't think it's fair to ask them to drop the price for like a 7 p.m show but like maybe the 4 p.m show is a little cheaper i obviously the matinees are already cheaper but the 12 that's the 12 to 3 period i also was thinking of some kind of like buy one get one free kind of thing i don't know like how you that would be really nice that. for families especially yeah. while theater capacities are still hit and miss whether they're full or not yet yeah and that also helps contrast what like Disney Plus is trying to do with a 30 buck, you know, stay at home uh, and watch as much as you want kind of thing, uh, mm -hmm. which, is they're, which they're doing with Black Widow and they're also doing for Jungle Cruise. They're dropping yeah. it for Shang-Chi, which starts in September. And also it's important that they are convincing people that it's safe. I mean, they, they've been doing plenty. AMC has been doing a lot of advertising for their safe cinema plan or whatever it's called. But yeah, like that that's also going to be crucial. So they got to do some kind of ad campaign for that to get it out to the masses. Yeah, no, I think that's true. People, I mean, it's good to see that Quiet Place's numbers are up. Um, and, you know, now that a lot of people are vaccinated, I think I think this F9 weekend and Black Widow's weekend will be very telling. But hopefully, you know, theaters won't have to do too much. People will just get vaccinated and be excited about movies again like we are. <laughs> hopefully it's not a too tall of, of an order. Right. Well, we kind of alluded to a movie that is out in theaters right now that isn't a particular, doing particularly well at the box office, but it's doing pretty well with critics. That'll do it for our new segment. Let's move into our review of In the Heights. In a faraway land called Washington Heights. It's a story of a block that was disappearing. The genius is back! We all had a sueñito. We had to keep scraping by. Maybe this neighborhood is changing forever. Maybe tonight is our last night together, however. Little details that tell the world we are not invisible. Today's all we got, so we cannot stop. This is our block. In the heights, I was shaped ice. Washington Heights. Like the street lights. We're taking the flight to a couple of days in the life for what it's like. In Washington Heights. In the Heights is directed by John M. Chu. We'll say his full name to be nice. Uh, he has had a very interesting career that has dabbled in a lot of musical things. I, I, I generally find him a pretty pleasant director. The big thing he's known for is Crazy Rich Asians, which was a huge hit back in 2018. He also did Step Up 2 and 3, which are the best movies in the Step Up saga, uh, for those oh, who care. Only you would know that. He also did two, <laughs> not one, but two 
Justin Bieber documentaries. So, uh, Jake, Jake, which uh, which uh, Justin Bieber documentary is better? Justin Bieber Never Say Never or Justin Bieber's Believe? There's only one answer. Uh, the OJ documentary is definitely better. The OJ documentary, yes. Uh, uh, we were looking for uh, Justin Bieber Never Say Never because that was the one in 3D where he pointed at you, pointed right into your soul. Um, um, and I'd rather not see that. <laughs> other movies he's done, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Now You See Me Too. He's going to be doing the adaptation of Wicked. Uh, so that's another major musical movie Ooh. down the pipe. Uh, and... It's important that this movie worked out for that because In the Heights is based off of Lin-Manuel Miranda's 2008 Broadway smash. It was a big Tony winner. It's not quite as well known as Hamilton, but obviously by association, it gains the notoriety of Lin's name next to it, which kind of boosts its profile a little bit. Not enough to make more than like $20 million at the box office, but I digress. I don't really know how to describe the plot of this. Uh, it's kind of just like it takes place in Washington Heights. It was shot on location in New York City. Uh, Anthony Ramos is the lead. He plays Usnavi, uh, which is the role that Lynn played in the original. You've also got Melissa Barrera as his love interest, Vanessa. Leslie Grace is Nina, who was local to Washington Heights. She's returning home to see her father, Kevin Rosario, played by Jimmy Smits, best known as Bail Organa from Revenge of the Sith, by the way, if we're, if we're going to do mm-hmm. multiple oh. episode three references. Uh, and then, of course, the other big name, quote unquote big name, Corey Hawkins, who played Dr. Dre in Straight Outta Compton. He plays Benny, who's kind of the love interest to Nina. And it's just about these characters going through their everyday lives, their hopes and dreams, trying to get out of Washington Heights, learning to accept the streets, and doing it all with music and choreography. This is a very bombastic musical. You know, some musicals are non-committal. This is a very much a musical with the big Broadway marquee. A uh, lot of songs, a lot of dancing. So if that's not your thing, get ready for two and a half hours of it. But this has been pretty critically acclaimed so far. This is one of the more high-rated movies of the year, like 96, 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. Jake, let's head over to you. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on musicals in general, just to refresh the audience's memory, and then what did you think of this one? Um, I'm not traditionally a huge music guy. I mean, I will try almost anything. Uh, but traditionally, I'm not in love with musicals. There's only one that has my heart. But other than that... What is that one, Jake? Uh, it was almost the best picture winner movie a few years ago called La La Land. And um, yeah, every time I watch that movie, I fall in love with it every time. So that's uh, that's a good one for me. I mostly just fall in love with Ryan Gosling, but to each his own. <laughs> um, so for me, Within the Heights, kind of like what Andrew alluded to a little bit, if too much singing and dancing is not your thing, get ready for two and a half hours. That's kind of exactly how I felt. It's not a bad movie by any stretch. But I really felt the length. And there was a point where I was like, are, we're singing again? Jeez, uh, let me, you know, little buffer period. Do like, I don't know. And there were some buffer periods, but there were points where I was like, all right, like maybe two musical numbers too many. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just not overly familiar with musicals, but you could tell it's very well made. There's some great shots. There's some great sets. The choreography is really good. There's some nice story details, like how Usnavi got his name. I really like little writing aspect like that. Like, there's plenty of good stuff in here. I just couldn't get into it. There was a point where, because I watched it on HBO Max, I paused it real quick to get myself a snack, thinking I'm at least halfway done. And I was at, like, 53 minutes. And I'm like, oh, shit, really? So I felt the I felt the runtime a little bit. I felt myself kind of fidgeting and tossing and turning a little bit. Like, all right, I'm. this is getting a little bit long and a little bit overdone. But as a whole, it's definitely a good movie. Definitely well done, well acted, like... I couldn't really pinpoint any one specific thing that I didn't like other than 
It was just a little bit too much from top to bottom for me, in my opinion. Yeah, and you you, you did pinpoint it. It's the length for you. Can, but can, like, <laughs> but like, like movie specifics. Like, it's not like there was a bad writing moment. It's not like there was a really troublesome character that I didn't like. Like, it was just a little bit too much as a as a whole. I think. <laughs> Nate, can you imagine Jake just sitting at home watching this movie? Like another song? Surely you jest. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what did you think, Nate? Yeah. Uh, interesting. I length was not a problem for me. Although notably, I did see this in the theater, so maybe that makes a difference. I'm sure Drew will have thoughts on that. Are we still doing phrasing? Um, by the way, length was not a problem for me. Get the frick out of here! <laughs> <laughs> and your dad has turned the pod- podcast off. <laughs> I hate both of you. <laughs> Nate, what'd you think in the heights? <laughs> in the heights. Um, yeah, I had a lot of similar feelings to um, our Mary Poppins Returns review way back when. I didn't have a big association with the source material, in this case being the Broadway show. Never seen it, heard of it, listened to any of these songs beforehand. Oh, same here, by the way. Yeah, like complete opposite of my girlfriend who listens to the soundtracks of musicals all the time and was prepping herself with all the music going in to see this movie. <laughs> she pre-gamed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, that's definitely a type of person for this movie. I am not one of those. So I didn't know too much about In the Heights beforehand. And I enjoyed myself the whole way through it. But the big key for me was, all right, in three days from now, am I going to be humming any of these songs in my head? Because I did that with Hamilton. Like, I... Didn't know anything going into it, and all of a sudden, nonstop and uh, right hand man, and all those songs were just constantly entering my headspace uh, weeks after I'd seen the thing. Did that happen within the heights? No, I I cannot hum too much of the music from this one. It went in one ear and out the other. Not that it was bad, but it just didn't connect with me the same way. Actually, you know what, Nate? Good catch. I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that's a little bit of shame, and that definitely is going to hurt this movie a little bit just for rankings because it didn't stick with me too much. But there are some standout movie moments aside from the music here that do stand out in my head that I was thinking of the next couple days afterward. There's like one particularly beautiful scene that's danced on like the side of a building. I think there's a little snippet yes. of it in the trailer every now and then. I loved that scene. Um, That one really struck out to me. Me too. Um, And the characters are good and fun and relatable. So it's it's a little bit of a mixed bag for me, but the stuff that it was supposed to do well, I think it did well. And I really like the casting for this movie. And if that's the note that I end you on, I think all the choices the director made for this movie did pay off in dividends. Um, Okay. I'm closer to Nate, but I still think I'm higher than both of you. Uh, I also saw the movie in theaters. I saw it on opening night in IMAX, which was a really cool experience just to get the surround sound for the songs and everything like that. And obviously an audience that was really into it. I I do think that plays a role in how you feel about it. I agree. I did not feel the length, even though it is a long movie objectively. I just had a really good time with this. I, I, I thought the musical numbers were really incredibly well done. I disagree in terms of the music. I've been listening to it since the movie came out. Probably four or five songs that I have on my rotation heavily right now. But also, again, I'm more inclined to these kind of movies than you guys are, I think. Uh, and and John M. Chu is 
the real star of this. Obviously, Lynn is the the star, yada, yada, yada. He's got a small role in the movie. His music, obviously, is a big part of everything that happens here. But that doesn't matter if you don't assemble the music correctly. And the setup of certain big moments is so well done. The movie's really well edited as well, and it's really well shot. All of that is very important to you know, making the crowd-pleasing elements work. Like, there's several standout scenes, and they're pretty well-spaced, uh, the the big showstoppers. Like, the one that Nate was alluding to on the side of the roof, or on the side of the building. Uh, there's another one that's about half an hour in that we'll talk about a lot, which I think is the money on the table, this is the best thing we've got for you moment of the movie. Uh, so they're pretty spaced out very well, so that tells you the movie's pretty well-paced. Uh, I do think, story-wise, there's a lot of... Stuff they do really well with the characters, all played very well by pretty charming actors who are all kind of up and coming. Nobody really is a big star here. Uh, this is a big launching point for Anthony Ramos moving on from Hamilton and moving into his own career. Uh, also showed off what Corey Hawkins can do really well and Melissa Barrera, who I didn't really know before this. She was kind of just doing a lot of Spanish television and Spanish shows. She brought a lot to her role as well. This movie just has a really nice emotional backbone that kind of carries it through the musical numbers so that it's not boring when they're not singing and dancing. And they found a way to make it culturally relevant to now, too, as well. So I, I think just the, the operative word I would use is that I thought this was extremely entertaining. And that's kind of what just what I was looking for from it. It's probably probably an upper echelon musical for me, personally. So here's, here's one way that I can... For anybody listening, I, I can tell you how I am with musicals. Uh, I still have never seen Hamilton, so that might help. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just – I never, like, looked for them, and some that I've seen I like. Like I said, there's one that I absolutely adore, but other than that, I get, maybe they're just not totally my thing. The critic in me recognizes that this is a really well-made movie start to finish, but the, the person who has biases is just kind of like – yeah, it's pretty good, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's yeah. understandable. I mean, if this isn't your vibe usually, which it doesn't sound like it, like if you have no, if you've never heard any of Lynn's music or anything like that, it's got to be, it's got to be a little jarring, you know. Mm-hmm. What you What you think of Moana? Because that was a lot of Lynn's stuff too, right? I love Moana. Yeah, but it was also kind of a Disney flavor to it mm. as well. It not it's of not course. the same as Hamilton. Yeah, I do love Moana. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so, there's a little bit more know. plot in Moana. <laughs> um, non-musical plot, rather. Uh, there's two major story arcs. The relationship between Usnavi and uh, Vanessa, and also his dream to go back to the Dominican Republic. Um, that's like your, your A plot, and then your B plot is what's going on with the character Nina and Benny. There's more to the more to the community going on for sure, but th- that's like your A plot and your B plot. And I thought casting wise, great job. I think we're gonna see a lot more of Anthony Ramos after this movie. I thought he did a stellar job. He's just so charismatic as the leading man, and not just in the singing part, but just in like the the way he carries himself and in- interacts with all the other characters. I thought he was great. I was a little bummed though because I didn't care so much about his story as I did Nina and Benny's. I thought Nina was a really cool character. She's a very conflicted character because she's dealing with like the pressures of the neighborhood and the where she's going with her future is kind of like the 
shining hope of the community. And I wanted to see more of that. And I feel like they had to cut a little bit of it off just to fit all the songs in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Uh, like, I mean, it's like a B-plot, but they spend a lot of time on it in the beginning. It does feel like it does get a little disserviced by the end. I can I can definitely track that. But then they, they start integrating the other characters more. They start a completely different plot with one of the characters like midway through the movie that kind of dominates the second half of the movie, which we'll get into in spoilers. Uh, mm. But it, that kind of monopolizes a lot of the time that they spent on that. E- even though it may not have been 100% satisfying, it, it gets close enough. And they, they do such the actors do such a good job when they're part of other set pieces where they're not necessarily the focus. Um that it didn't bother me too much, if that makes sense. Hmm. And see, that that's the thing. I like um, Usnavi's whole story as a main character. Uh, it's like an interesting perspective that, you know, I, I probably would never have thought of before. And, you know, his lesson that he learns by the end is really nice. Uh, Nina, I thought, was the most interesting, maybe because I'm somebody who's only four years out of college. So I found her story very, very interesting. Like the one who made it out, the one who's going to be successful mm-hmm. and struggling with all that. I thought that was maybe the most interesting. Nina's is the one where they're able to put the racial subtext into it, basically, too. Yeah, which I yeah. found very, very interesting and, like, unique perspective. Um, and and uh, Vanessa as well, same thing. Like, you know, independent, going to make it on her own, but, you know, still gets wrapped up with Usnavi kind of thing. Like, like they're all good, well-written, fleshed-out characters. Um, I think Vanessa was my least favorite of the four. She makes some questionable life choices um, toward toward the end of the movie. And I understand, like, it's a musical. It's not 100% ingrained <laughs> in reality, but we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> yeah. I think Corey Hawkins was maybe not as interesting as the other three, in my opinion, but I thought he was really well acted. I'm excited to see what else he does in the future. I liked him. Yeah, I think I think it, for me it goes Usnavi and Nina's conflict. Usnavi obviously feeling a connection to the homeland and feeling like he needs to go there, but where, where, where really is home for him? That's a very, yeah. everybody can relate to that, even if it's not specifically about immigration, you know, like, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and then Nina was the one to kind of do what Asnavi wanted to do, which is get out. Um, but was that really what she wanted? And is she really comfortable there? And, and yeah, and then I think, Vanessa and Benny aren't as interesting, but they're they're playing off who I think are the two main characters, which is Usnavi and Nina. So that's fine. They don't have to be as compelling. And then there are a lot like we'll we'll talk more about the side characters as we get into spoilers. Let's let's get into our ratings here, and then we can continue this discussion. Uh, if you're just joining the middle seats for the first time, we operate on the seat scale. If we love a movie, think it has no flaws whatsoever, we give it a royal throne. If we think a movie is great with some minor flaws, we give it a plush recliner. If we think a movie is good with some sizable things wrong with it, uh, we give it a wooden seat. Inverse of that, bad movie with some decent things in it, uh, damp lawn chair, and then horrible movie, sleazy outhouse. If we think you should see it in theaters, we will tell you to go buy a bag of popcorn, which is all you can eat right now, by the way. So, woohoo! There you go. Jake, why don't you give your rating? Uh, even though I'm a hypocrite and I saw it on HBO Max, I would recommend seeing this in theaters. It's really well shot. Production as a whole, like their their sets, uh, cinematography, choreography, even some of like the costumes a little bit. Like he totally nails the feel of inner inner New York City during the summer. I heard a comparison that, you know, like with the with the way it times certain things. Somebody said it's kind of like Baby Driver meets um, Do the Right Thing, which I thought was a funny comparison. <laughs> 
I definitely saw the, the do the right thing vibes. So like he nails the whole tone. He nails the environment. The acting is really good. Um, so like there's plenty of good stuff here and it probably is better in the theater. I might have, maybe I would have been an easier sit in the theater instead of laying in my bed. I don't know. But as a whole, I'm kind of going in between two ratings and <laughs> where have I heard that before? <laughs> <laughs> Every podcast I've ever been on. <laughs> um, I'm going to go high end uh, wooden seat just because I didn't, I really didn't fall for it. Like I recognize it's really well made, but it just didn't catch me really. Even though like I really don't have many bad things to say about it. I just struggled to get hooked, I guess. So like wouldn't see polished by like Ron Swanson kind of thing, but I don't know. I just couldn't, <laughs> didn't fall in love with it. All right, Nate. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a smidgen higher than you, Jake. So just for consistency's sake, I will go plush recliner, um, and definitely the the theater bump if if you have the the means to do so. Um, but I don't think required. If you're really into this movie, but you want to see it at home, I think you'll have a good old time with this. It does strike me as something that if you're a musical newbie like Jake and I, you might not appreciate this as much, but. If you have like that prerequisite stuff and heard of Lin-Manuel Miranda before and you've seen Hamilton and you're into this sort of thing, I think you're going to love this. I think this really does a great job of taking the theater experience on Broadway and converting it into a movie form and taking all the best parts of a musical and elevating it with something that you can only pull off in film. Like there's only so much you can do on a Broadway set. This takes the best parts of that and then adds the movie flair to it to match. So I think that's what's going to give it a little bump for me. This is probably as good as a a direct lift from Broadway will go to movies for for a while. I really do think it did a good job in that end. And it was was just a pleasant, entertaining two and a half hours. So plush recliner for me. Not my favorite plush recliner, but still pretty darn good. So I think we need to bring up the obvious, which is that Jake is an outlier in terms of people that are going to be watching this movie. I I mean, maybe we'll we'll have to see how the year develops. I do think there is a reality where this plays an award season. I I don't know. I could see it. Yeah, I think the Oscars love their musicals. So I totally understand it. Yeah, the, the choice, although it's got to deal with West Side Story at the end of the year. But I think a lot of the audience that is going to go see this, Nate, kind of your to your point, People that are fans of Lynn, uh, people that are inclined to enjoy musicals. And this movie hasn't had any kind of lack of marketing to let people know what it is um, and let warn people about what it is. And if you and in terms of what it is, uh, it is one of the more exciting and energetic uh, musicals I've seen in a long time. I agree. This is this is as good as adaptations come in terms of what it's trying to accomplish uh, and shooting it in New York City is a big boost to this movie, I think, because it tangibly feels like a New York story and a New York musical. That's another boost that it gets from us, at least, that you know people seeing this movie in Wyoming might not think of or feel. <laughs> it's just a good time, and I, I applaud John Chu's direction. I applaud all the work done by the cast, uh, the side actors, Jimmy Smith, like I mentioned, Gregory Diaz, who plays Sonny, who's... Usnavi's little cousin. Oh, yeah, he was uh, good, too. I forgot he, about him. He was very good. Uh, and then you've got the salon girl, Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine plays one of them. Daphne, Ruben, Vagan, Vega. They're all giving really good performances. Uh, I would give this a plus recliner. I think you should see it in theaters. It was a great time in IMAX. 
Don't go to like a low rate theater though. I think you can try to upgrade your circumstances beyond that. Two plus recliners, a wooden seat. Overall, thumbs up, even if some of our thumbs are a little higher. Let's move into spoilers here. If you have not seen In the Heights, tune out now. If you have, join us. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert. So let's just start easily and then kind of work our way into the more meaty stuff. Favorite musical moment, Nate. I, I think hands down it's 96,000. I think that's the most upbeat song. I think it has one of the coolest dance numbers with it, with the whole pool scene. Um, I really liked the, how do you describe it? Like, as they're walking to the pool, there's, like, these motion blur stylistic effects that they're drawing with their hands as they're walking that um, almost remind me of, like, Mitchell's versus the Machines, just in terms of style. And I I loved that. I wanted to see more stuff like that where it really delved into the fantasy elements of bringing the, the show to life. But all in all, the energy of 96,000 is my favorite. Before you go, Jake, uh, completely co-sign that. That is that was the jaw-dropping money on the table one I was talking about. The way that the song is structured, how it goes from each character talking about their hopes and dreams and talking about like what they would do with the money in theory, and then it gets serious and the the key changes like nine times. You just get good <laughs> insights. It, it's good character building as well as just phenomenal entertainment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. That was that was a good one. I think I was more mesmerized by what Nate was saying with the the walking on the wall at the end with Benny and uh, Nina. The song is called um, When the Sun Goes Down, for the record. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would not have known that, so thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that, that number, When the Sun Goes Down, um, just really, really cleverly directed, I think, and choreographed. Like, they... I don't know. I was I was shocked for a second when they they pivot and the camera changes and they pivot again and they just they get all kinds of angles. I'm like, wow, that looks really good. Yeah, that's very La La Land vibes, right? Yeah, I was like, that looks really cool. I like that quite a bit. I don't know what you're doing there, but I'm a fan. Um, I thought their chemistry was good, but I, I wasn't sold that they would get together until that musical number. I was like, all right, now I can I can believe it. That was a well done musical number. Um, and I thought the opening was pretty good, too. That's the only thing that's... I don't know if it's the trailer or if it's the opening number, but the In the Heights, that's been in my head a little bit. Just that. That yeah. is what the song is Just called. Just those yep. three words. <laughs> there was applause after the opening number in my theater. Oh, really? Yeah, my, my theater had some applause, too, in between some of the bigger songs. I think my my honorable mention will be the Carnival song. Carnival um, de Barrio. Yep. Yeah, right when the blackout's hitting its peak. I... I like that one because I, I just like the upbeat musical numbers like that. And that one has so much going for it. Um, and it's a long song, too. So you get a little bit of everything. Yeah, you've got all of the living cast members in there pretty much except for Jimmy Smith. Uh, at this mm -hmm. point, Abuela has passed away, which I haven't really even mentioned her. I thought that actress did a really good job in a role that could have been really cliche. She was adorable. Yes. Oh my gosh. And her goodbye musical number was really well done, I thought, as well. Just the visualization mm. of her joining her ancestors and going through. Yeah, I, I literally just used the word adorable to describe her because that's just how she acts as a character through the whole time. But then when you see that musical number and how strong she was to get to this point, um, that was that was a powerful moment. I really did like the abuela character all the way through and that was a very nice capstone to her character arc if you will yeah 
And that Carnival number is important because they're all down and out because she's passed away. These characters are like Vanessa and Usnavi are not at a good moment at that point. Jimmy Smith is basically shutting down the taxi service. So like Benny's trying to figure out what he's going to do. So there's not a lot of hope going along right now. Sonny's being a little moany bitch because of things going on for him. That was a little harsh. He, yes. he could get kicked <laughs> out of the country. a little bit more than that. Yeah, Jeez, we just complimented yeah. him. <laughs> he, he he could get kicked out of the country. That was rude. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's the big like positivity, and yeah, it's a big it's a big pivot point in the movie, and they nailed it. I agree. Every everything you guys are saying, I'm just I'm nodding, and I'm just not as moved or inspired as you guys are. I'm like, yeah, that was that was a good one too. Yeah, sure, yeah. We should have taken. We should have insisted you go to a theater for this. I think. I that's just the. Is that the vibe you're getting, Nate? I, he I, gives a. I he, he gives an interesting perspective here, but. Uh, I don't know. I I had a good time with this in the theater, because um, it really did f- felt like I was just going back to Broadway and the world was a little bit more normal. But I also totally get Jake's perspective, where nothing really stuck with me after the fact. Oh yeah, you know? I, yeah, I disagree with that a lot. Yeah, so like this has been nowhere near my Spotify list. Yeah, like after so like after Moana and La La Land, I was playing those songs after the movie. This did mm-hmm. not happen to me. And I'm not saying your opinion I'm not saying your opinion would have changed if you saw it in theaters. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying like there's no tangible experience or it wasn't something separate from you that going to the movies is, which is fine. I mean, that's Yeah. I mean, I like I watch plenty of things at home and get blown away by plenty of other things at home, you know? Almost done with season four of Sopranos, and a couple of things recently made me go, "Holy shit!" And the heist right. just didn't do it. I, and I know I'm a minority opinion. I see everybody else talking about it, and I'm just like, "Yeah, that was pretty good." I don't know. That's a tough. That's a tough uh, act to follow for In the Heights. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's pivot over away from the musical side of things and more to like the, yep. the plot side of things. You read my mind, Nate, uh, trying to be the host. <laughs> that's what I was gonna do. Uh, yep. Like uh, Vanessa was going to sign a very expensive apartment still in Manhattan, just on the the Lower East Side, or Lower West Side, excuse me, to do fashion. Why couldn't she do that from her neighborhood <laughs> and save some money along the way? I, di- I didn't get that. Like, what was the whole point of moving downtown and just blowing I, money I, away? I guess it's just a different been... experience. Would have been easier to be in, like, I'm assuming that's where the fashion district is, more or less. So maybe that's just, it would have been a lot easier for her to, like, gain opportunities and be in the area that she wants. But I'm also kind of with you, Nate. I was like, she needs to move that desperately to save 40 minutes. But but that's the point of her arc. She finds out that, no, I don't, you know, like, mm-hmm. I guess you're, you're taking exception with the part of her arc where she's supposed to be wrong, you know, and then, I guess, I guess. Yeah. But like. That was like the turning moment for her and Usnavi um, where like he got her the lease. And I'm like, oh, boy, aspiring boyfriends to be are going to have a rough time competing <laughs> with something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to sign a lease to get a first date. <laughs> right. It would have been second technically, but yes. <laughs> Still. <laughs> and the first date didn't go well. Yeah. No, not at all. I Talk about talk about just blowing it. He what, Like, what the hell was he doing? I was getting mad at him. I didn't get what either of them were doing. Like, why did... Why did she ask to dance with other people if she didn't want to dance with other people? I, I didn't get that. You know either. how the ladies like to play games. That's what she she was trying to yeah. goad him onto the dance floor. Well, then that that's her fault too, in my opinion. <laughs> but boys I, are thick. We need a megaphone saying 
yeah. I'd like to do this with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Didn't that first guy originally ask her to dance and Ustavi was just like, uh, yeah, sure. And then they both were just like, uh, what? It was like he asked her to dance and then Usnavi was like, no, you should do it. He was really like, he was gung-ho about it. Like, like okay. Yeah. Like, if I was her too, I'd be like, uh. Usnavi okay. needs to work on his game for sure. <laughs> yeah. I Also, like, Anthony Ramos is a traditionally pretty handsome guy. I, I can't. I can't say that I believe that he has no game whatsoever like Usnavi appears to have. Um, Bars. Speaking of Usnavi, something we haven't talked about at all is the framing device of the movie, Mm -hmm. which is Usnavi is telling the story of In the Heights to a group of kids who would appear to be on a beach somewhere. I felt a little ashamed that I didn't see... It's not really a twist, but, like, I didn't see coming that, like they were still in Washington Heights. You know what I mean? Like, I mm-hmm. thought maybe, like, he convinced Vanessa to go with him. I, I did think that the kid, one, at least one of the kids, was his child. But I, I thought he had really gotten out, and this was a tribute to a past home. Mm-hmm. So that so that actually hit pretty home by the end for me. Yeah, that got me good. I assumed that the story was going to end with, like, sometimes you can achieve your dreams, but they aren't what you wanted, and this was kind of like his love song to home that he had left behind and was kind of regretful of all that. Exactly. So yeah. for him to have stayed there um, and fallen in love with his neighborhood all over again, I thought that was, that was sweet. Um, like some very keen eyed Redditors and Twitter commenters have been able to pinpoint the stuff in the bodega that was changing as he's telling the story to kind of give you little hints here and there as to what's really going on. I didn't get that far as the keen Reddit eye people, but not to do my own horn, but I kind of thought that was where they were going. Like he probably doesn't actually leave. Like maybe he does hit it pretty big and he's got like a second condo in the DR or something, but I kind of assume he stays there. <laughs> it felt like too good to be true, which I can see. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they showed how devastated that old shack was. Uh, yeah. by whatever hurricane hit it or mm-hmm. so it, it would have been a lot to 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 think to think he would have repaired it all and had this paradise afterlife yeah they were like mm-hmm. the roof caved in and also the floors and also the walls yeah and like, the piping's gone ninety six thousand dollars ain't nothing but <laughs> i do think that's a song that or i do think that's a number that's probably going to get worse and worse with age because <laughs> that's not a life-changing amount of money anymore unfortunately right which i which i kind of i kind of like that it's uh it's not like a million dollars you know what i mean it's enough Mm -hmm. where it gives every character in the show hope that they can use it as a stepping stone but they're they're also realistic about like what that means like they still have a lot of work to do if they want to build too. life for themselves Mm -hmm. quote-unquote better life for themselves even though you're supposed to think that the life they have is good enough so is that like a happy coincidence or because, like, this was originally written in, what, 2008? Yeah. Yeah, they they also had to change the lyric because when he's, uh, when, when Corey Hawkins, Benny says that Tiger Woods is my caddy, uh, it was originally Donald Trump, uh, which is not aged very mm-hmm. well. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think there were, there were a couple lyrics that got changed throughout the, throughout the show just to make it a little bit more with the times. Yeah. Um, I'm not privy to all of them, but. <laughs> Speaking of with the times. Uh, the Nina character, the Nina character and the Sunny character, the two things I want to talk about in terms of topical stuff, because th- this was never going to be a movie that got like super serious about issues like the dreamers and 
ice and DACA and stuff like that. And But we find out Sonny is not in the country legally. He obviously doesn't have the best parents in the world. Played very briefly but memorably, I thought, by Mark Anthony. Mm-hmm. And Usnavi's sacrifice to give him the $96,000 I thought was on brand and very sweet and touching. Uh, and I like that they leave that story unresolved because there, there shouldn't be a happy ending there. There should be an open-ended thing. But the hope that maybe that the system will get it right, even if, you know, it's almost like a call to action to get it right by the system. You know what I mean? Because Sonny is mm-hmm. clearly, clearly a law-abiding citizen in this community. He just needs the certification to show it, apparently. Yeah. Right. And I like that. Some critics might call that, like, too woke for its own good or just, like, injecting politics into something that didn't need it. I thought it was integrated pretty well and it fit with the tone and message of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like the inclusion. Um, Sonny's in particular just felt right. And I thought a, a realistic perspective too. Mm-hmm. Like that, yeah. I'm sure that really happens. So Yeah, and then the, the, the Nina side of things is even more generally relatable to people of color um, where she has to describe her experience in California and how she got searched uh, very early in her time at whatever I forget what college she went to. Uh, Stanford. Was it you Stanford? Was Stanford? I, mm-hmm. Yeah, she got searched because her roommate's parents or something accused her of stealing something, and that that's got to be a really mortifying and embarrassing and real thing for a lot of people that are that are the target demographic for this movie. So I thought they handled that very well. It didn't get. It felt pretty genuine to me, uh, even if they didn't linger on it for very long. Yeah, and I think. I was reading that one of the big changes this movie made was that they made Nina's father a single dad when the mother's a pretty major minor character, <laughs> if you will, in the in the original show. Um, so that, that's an interesting addition. I think they probably did it more to cut time. Yeah. Also takes away a source of income from the father to make his mm, struggles yeah. more substantial. I didn't know that actually until you just said that. Um, there you go. But I, I agree. I it would have been it might have been redundant to have both of them. And it would have made the movie like two twenty six instead of two twenty three. So yeah, probably would have had more than three minutes because they probably would have wanted her to sing or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's time to wrap up here. One final note before we get into final thoughts. Uh, final note. That was cute. <laughs> I, I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> uh, Lynn is in this. He plays the Piragua guy which i didn't know what that was but also i'm just like some i'm just some dude from jersey so i wouldn't know that <laughs> i don't think yeah. um but he's in it just enough so he doesn't like distract too much i don't think yeah uh cute cameo by christopher jackson who plays george washington in hamilton uh as mm-hmm. the uh ice cream guy uh he also mr. played softy yeah mr softy <laughs> he also played benny in the original show so that was fun a good, a good little Easter egg that Jake didn't know anything about, probably until right now. Nope, zero. Yeah, learn <laughs> something new go. every day. Every podcast, <laughs> learn something new. Jake, why don't you launch into your final thoughts here? Sure. It's I. I'm aware I'm the minority opinion. Like this is definitely a, a fun movie. I think most people will enjoy it for some for some reason or another. Um, it's just it didn't grab me like I was hoping to. I was hoping it would. I was actually looking forward to this movie coming out. But I think it does a, it does a lot of things really well. I also think it's important culturally, like it's very racially diverse in my opinion. Uh, I think they capture the environment really, really well. Like uh, I was talking to my friend about this and he said a friend of his from Binghamton who grew up in the in Washington Heights, I believe, saw it and thought it was super relatable 
and thought, you know, I had nothing but good things to say about it, apparently, as far as the environment goes. Um, and I really appreciate movies can do that, at least when you really nail your environment, whether it's factually accurate or like post-apocalyptic, like it could be anything. When you nail your environment and really capture the feel, I think that's great. So I think they did that really well. It's a good story for a musical, all things considered. A lot of the musical, like there's not a bad musical number. There's not even a whole lot of bad parts about it. I just didn't get hooked like I was hoping to. That's really about all it is. So I still think it's worth the watch. I would still recommend it for most people. If you're on the fence, I say lean and lean onto the right and, and go see it. Definitely in theaters. But um, I don't know. It just wasn't my cup of tea, I guess. In terms of the diversity point, uh, th- there's a broader discussion going on right now that I don't think fits this podcast too much. But the the show, the movie's being criticized by people that are looking for things to get upset about uh, for how it casts the extras. Like, there's not a lot of diversity apparently in the extras. Like, the main principal cast is pretty diverse, but they're hoo ha about who they cast as like the dancers and stuff like that surrounding the main cast. That it's it's a whole thing going on right now that Lynn had to apologize for. It's beyond our purview. I just oh, wanted to mention word. it really quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've Nate. Final Internet's thoughts. got an internet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, th- this was, this was a fun enough time. Um, I've seen plenty of Broadway shows that are just like this, where you go in, you enjoy yourself. You might hum one of the songs a couple days later. This one didn't quite get there with me, but I appreciated the art form. I appreciated it as a movie. Um, and overall, just had a good time. And it was a nice distracting uh, distracting time at the movie theaters for me. So more tentative recommend than like an absolutely must-see um, in my book here. But if you are any sort of musical fan, you are going to have a ball with this movie. And I can't wait to see more of these actors do more things because I really did – if there was one thing that the movie nailed, I think it was all of that very, very well. So uh, another good entry from John Chu um, after his his last thing with Crazy Rich Asians and this. Um, I think he's going to be a name that sticks around for a while. And I actually am really excited to see what he does for Wicked because that is one where the music really does stick out to me. Yeah, I, there was a review that kind of pointed out that the opening number is a big launching point And it feels like a big like coming out party for like Ramos and Barrera and the main the main characters, the main people, the la- the first couple of numbers are so big to establishing, okay, they're here, they've arrived, this is their movie and their launching point. Um, the movie's perfectly cast. It is as, about as well executed as I could have expected or wanted. It is a big crowd pleaser that has a lot of heart. Um, I think the majority of people are going to have a great time with this that are interested in it at least. Would not be surprised if it sticks around at the end of the year, at least for discussions for technical things. Uh, We'll have to see what that means in terms of Oscar buzz. Um, But for now, this is a very this is going to be a summer experience for anybody who is looking forward to it. Um, So I recommend it for sure. And again, John Chu did a great job setting this movie up for success with his staging and his ability to use the camera to take us to places where we feel like we're kind of in this musical wonderland. That just happens to be also in New York City. So that's fun, too. That'll do it for our In the Heights review. Before we go, Nate Longarini, where can they find us on the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. 
And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. I'm usually non-committal to what we're reviewing next, but put it on the books. Next episode, we are talking about F9, the Fast Saga. So that'll be fun. Black Widow next after that. So we're really in it, guys. We've made it. Blockbusters return. Blockbusters are back. That'll do it. For Jay Kensler and Nate Lungarini, I'm Andrew Ogier. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. <laughs>